0: This is for the men who never settle. The ones who believe only quitters end a game and a tie. The type of guys who choose the bar with the biggest TVs to overcompensate for theirs at home. This is the Lodge mentality. This is Twin Peaks. We are back with another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I am your host, Jack Johnson, today. Shout out to our presenting sponsors, starting with Garretson and Toth. They handle the most complex felony, federal, or state criminal defense cases. You'll find them in doing that successfully, helping criminal defendants all over the Kansas City area and northeast Kansas for years. Also, be sure to visit Kim Howard Associates Agency at 105th and Metcalf in Overland Park or give Kim and her team a call at 913-649-2002. That's 913-649-2002 for a quote on your home and auto insurance today. And a reminder that if you call that number and mention that you heard their ad here on the shift, Kim and her team will give you a free $10 gift card to Starbucks to use on whatever you would like, coffee, tea, breakfast items. It's your $10. All you got to do is call that number at 913-649-2002 and mention that you heard Kim and her team's ad right here on the shift on ESPN Kansas City. Well, last night, we actually had our show on 810 Bump from Wednesday night to Monday night, so we have a couple of interviews to play for you for today's show, and I want to start it off with a very fascinating interview that I had with Pat Fitzgerald of ESPN. He does a lot of behind-the-scenes work for the broadcast team, working with Dick Vitale, Boog Shambi, and Fran Fershilla, so as you know, he was very busy over this last week working with the Big 12 tournament, so here was my interview last night with Patrick Fitzgerald of ESPN. And now we are joined in studio by a very special guest, Patrick Fitzgerald of ESPN. And and Patrick, first things first, I really appreciate you coming in studio, taking the time out of your night to join us here. But you've been very busy. You work in the Big 12 tournament. You work the Big 12 Women's Championship game. You work with guys like Dick Vitale. You work with Fran Frischel. You work with Boog. All these guys with the talent, the stats, all that. So before we get into any further questions... I want to hear about your start. How did all of this come to working with these guys and working in college basketball and college football, for that matter?
1: Wow! Hey, thanks for having me, Jack. First of all, um, funny story uh, about 15 years ago. I uh, thought to myself, I am a sports geek. I want to do something in sports. Um, I had a friend um, that I'd known for quite a while named Kevin Shank, who uh, is one of the most talented producers uh, people ever in television and um, I reached out to him and I said what can I do how do I get into television and he said you have to uh, what I would do if I were you is reach out to John Dennison at Metro Sports mm-hmm. at the time Yeah, John Denison um, was just what he did by creating Metro Sports nothing had ever happened like that before not only did he you know Start that, but just by getting the royals and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, so I went there one day and uh sat down and I said, I want to get in television. I said, Okay, um, you know what? I think we have a uh, graphics Chiron position open. I said, Cool. He said, You know, you know how to work computers and stuff like that, don't you? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I had never turned on a computer in my life. <laughs> never had I turned on a computer in my life. And so, uh, so they said, all right, um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start you on high school game of the week when Metro had that on Friday nights. And uh, we're going to let Kayla Manning, who was, who's the best graphics person around, we're going to let her uh, show you how everything works and uh, teach you. When I walked in the truck, Kayla's like, "Oh, great! I got to teach someone else." Here we go. Here we go. Um, long into that story is is that uh, Kayla and I are very good friends this day, and she's also very very talented. But um, so went from uh, doing high school game of the week, and then uh, Denison put me on the uh, UMKC package, then the Wichita State package, mm-hmm. then the Missouri Valley Conference package. Um, and so I did all that, and then um, I ended up after that going uh, doing stage managing for the pregame and postgame for uh, Joel Goldberg, stud also, and uh, Paul Splitter got his whistle, and uh, so I did that, and then about ten years ago started with ESPN, and. Um, Started just, uh, I was a stage manager. They call mm. him booth coordinator now, stage manager. Um, and so uh, finally uh, met a guy named Scott Gustafson, who's a producer for ESPN. Once again, one of the best. And uh, started uh, working my way up, and um, now I'm pretty much doing talent stats for uh, all the uh, great broadcasters at ESPN And um, during football season. I uh, travel with uh, Courtney Lyle every mm. game that she has. Um, we're in a different uh, city every uh, week, and it's been it's been a lot of fun. It's interesting. There's a lot of uh, a lot of things you uh, don't realize on live sports television that goes on, and um, it's it's uh, it's been a journey.
0: Yeah, it, it sounds. I love the the first part of your story, saying that you you knew how to work a computer, never trying a computer before, and I feel like. A lot of that working in sports, you have to adjust on the fly when you're working with broadcasters, when stats come up. I mean, I mean, one of the things I'm always fascinated by with on-air type of stuff, you hear these stats be thrown. These stats pop up on the bottom line. And you're going, man, I even think about that. This This stat was broken from the 1980-82 or 1984 Georgetown team. Like, are you one of those people on the stat behind the scenes coming up with that, finding those stats? How does all that work behind the scenes?
1: First of all, I'm such a... Uh Sports geek that um, I could, uh, if you asked me, the '88 uh, Oakland A's lineup, I could tell you Carney Lansford played third base. <laughs> I'm not proud of that, but uh, that's just kind of—it's good know,
0: knowledge to have. Yeah, it's,
1: well, you know that with a, it's token, a good bar bet. that with a token will get you on a bus, right? <laughs> um, but no, uh, I've just always—you know—you got to just be passionate. You got to love something you do. Yeah, and um, and I think. And I've always been a stats geek also, and I think that's kind of what helps out. And um, just, I mean, it's doing every sport is great, too. Not just, you know, you see the Big 12 tournament. Cool. Yeah, whatever. You see, mm-hmm. but, but I love doing women's volleyball, softball, baseball, whatever. I mean, every sport is, uh, you know, like yesterday at Municipal, those Iowa State fans for that ladies game, they were crazy. They were great. Mm-hmm. Iowa State fans, obviously, travel. They and, travel and, very and well. Great, yeah. but um, so yeah, it was. Uh, it's just, it's a passion, and it's cliche, but uh, if you love what you do, you never have a job. Something like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, it's um, it's just I've been very uh, uh, lucky with all the people that I've come in contact all, with and all the great people, and so um, yeah.
0: We're talking with Pat Fitzgerald of ESPN, does great work with the broadcasting team and was down there in Kansas City working for the men's championship and the women's championship. Uh, walk me through this Big 12 tournament, how you go about preparing each and every night because you're working with guys like Fran Freshilla, You're working with Dickie V, who did the championship game between Kansas and Texas. So if you show up, let's say, probably how are you, three, four hours before tip off a little bit, like somewhere around that ballpark, yep. what is the average prep like for a game? Let's say if it, let's go to Wednesday night. When it was West Virginia Texas Tech. What goes into that? What goes in that prep of finding all the stats and, and all the numbers you can about those two teams?
1: Well, they, um, of course, each uh, university uh, puts out game notes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have to um, go over those. And also, when you, not only a game that you're doing, but when you watch as much basketball and stuff like that, you kind of know, you don't know exactly everything. Yep. But, um So you go over the game notes beforehand. Yeah. Um, you write down stuff for that. Um, the broadcaster, the play-by-play person, um, and the analyst will say, mm-hmm. "Hey, look for uh, uh, look for this, look for yeah. that, uh, look for, you know what uh, they average twenty-one uh, turnovers a game, and so let's uh, keep track of those, keep yeah. track of those." So you're in communication with uh, the talent and um, stuff like that beforehand, and then also um, we have a. Uh, 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 a monitor that has stat broadcast on it that has live in-house up-to-date stats. So I would love to say that I'm real smart and like Mike Swanson used to do when he did stats with Keith Jackson, he was keeping them by hand. Eh, I kind (laughs) of cheat a little bit. I look at the uh, stat broadcast monitor, okay, and Mm -hmm. so it it updates and it'll say – it'll have notes that says, here's a 9-0 run Mm -hmm. or here's that – but you still have to keep track of uh, other things, also, and uh, and so there's a lot that goes into it. That uh, people, I remember when I used to, you know, when I was a kid and I'd watch Harry Carey doing the Cubs. Mm-hmm. I'd say, you know, Arnie Harris was his producer. Arnie would tell him, you know, everything that was going on. I thought, how does Harry know that? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> but no, there's a lot of lot of people that mm-hmm. are involved in the whole production.
0: Well, see, when you're working with somebody like ESPN, or you think like CBS. There's such little margin for error. You can't be throwing out fake stats. Sometimes, you know, it's technology. Bad things can happen. Somebody realizes they're not on air. They say something. We've seen it over the course of history (laughs) in sports. We've seen it in MLB. We've Mm -hmm. seen it in NBA, Mm -hmm. NFL, and college sports. I have a great story I want to get into that you were telling me before. Yeah. All of that. But, you know, when you're dealing with that, I want to know maybe this is more so of maybe a negative thing, but do you remember maybe your first debacle working or having a bad stat or or not keeping track of it or not being communication? Like, Can you think back to a time where you went, man, I might have really screwed up there?
1: Which one out of a uh, (laughs) 1,000 should I? I'll I'll start with this one. So uh, um, the first game that I actually did um, uh, by myself as uh, far as doing graphics Mm -hmm. was a Missouri game. A Missouri basketball game, and they crewed. This is, I mean, I'd never done anything on my own, and they crewed me on it the night before. And I remember the person who uh, signed me to it said, "Are you ready for it?" And I said, "I get." Said, "You're either gonna sink or swim." Mm-hmm. It's like, "All right, cool." I'm nervous. I'm like, "Oh man, oh man, oh man," and uh, so get there, get everything prepped. Everything's cool. I'm like, "Oh, I got this. I got this." And so I'm not only doing the the stats but I'm also doing the bug on a different channel because there's one channel on the front one channel on the back and I'm doing the bug which keeps the score we went to the first break Missouri was up I forget who they're playing Kent State or someone Mm -hmm. you know it wasn't a big game because I wouldn't have been on it if it would have been but uh Missouri was up 14-6 so I type in as we're going to break but I typed in Kent State 14 Missouri 6 instead of the opposite and I looked up and we went to break and I go should I say to anyone that I messed that up, or should I just let it go? <laughs> no one ever noticed, but I did. And uh, so, yeah, you know what? There, there's always mistakes when you're, as you know, when you're on live television or radio. You got to roll with it. Something's gonna happen, and you just gotta. Hey, you know what? I'll get the next one. So,
0: we're talking with Patrick Fitzgerald of ESPN. Does work on the broadcast team with Dick Vitale, Fran Freshill and. I got to dive in this story because you're telling me right before he we went on the air, of course, the Big 12 championship game between Kansas and Texas, it was no secret to anybody. That was one of the worst performances Kansas had had all season long. They'd been blown out in five of their seven games. But for some reason, maybe it's recency bias, that just felt a little bit worse because he just got trounced by Texas and Austin. Then you get your ass kicked again in Kansas City against that same Texas team. Man. But you work with Dick Vitale. You're good friends with Dick Vitale. <laughs> Tell me about that interaction when Dickie V. maybe thought that he was off air when he actually was on air?
1: Oh, Dickie's great, and I'm just so glad that he's uh, feeling so much better and um, and, and has uh, defeated cancer, which is just an awful thing. I have uh, a couple people who mean a lot to me that are affected by that also. Um, but uh, so <laughs> we were going to break, and uh, Dickie uh, thought that we were... At, we were on break; they were in black. But um, so he said on the hot mic. He said, uh, uh, "Man, this is the worst I've seen Kansas play." And Boog kind of looked at me. I looked at Boog, all that kind of stuff. We got done, and Dicky looked, said, "Were we on air?" We were on air. And Boog Sham- Shambi, who's one of the best in the business, and also does Cubs games stuff like that, and uh, said, "Yeah, yeah." Dicky just kind of threw his hands up. He said. Oh, well, you win
0: some, you lose some. I'm
1: 80 years old. What do I care? <laughs> but just, and still knows everything, does a great job, friendly, um, just down to earth. Does so much for uh, the V Foundation, for uh, yeah. pediatric cancer, and um, just just a great dude. So
0: Now, looking ahead to the NCAA tournament, of course, Selection Sunday was yesterday. You've got... KU, you've got K State, you've got Missouri, you got KU actually going to the West Region, or they to go to Las Vegas if they were to make it to the second weekend. You have Missouri, who is in the South Region, I believe it is South, South South Region against Utah State and Kansas State in the East Region as a three seed. But let's start with the Kansas State Wildcats, who they were at one point. Maybe going to be a two seed. Then they dropped as low as a four seed. And I thought at one point they were going to maybe stay in Des Moines. Then it was Albany. Then it was Denver. They land in Greensboro. They'll be taking on Montana State late on Friday night. But what can you make about this Kansas State team? You've seen them all year long working big 12 games. It's a Kansas State team that was preseason number 10 in the league. They completely overachieved. They get as high as top five in the nation at one point. And they did it. Jerome Tang did it with his new coaching staff pretty much having to overhaul the entire roster. And keep in mind, it's after they lost their best player from last year, Nigel Pack. So what could you make about this season as a whole, from Kansas State going from projected finish last in this conference to being a team that finishes third and gets a three seed in the NCAA tournament?
1: Jerome Tang.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Easy answer. I would stop yeah. there. But you have to understand, which you, which you know, that um, he had two players. He had two yeah. players. And um, he came in and— Keontae Johnson, what a story. I mean, you know, coming from Florida, I mean, that man almost died on the court. Yeah. Okay? And, you know, he uh, at Florida that year, he was preseason SEC player of the year. Okay? Mm-hmm. And not only to come back and play at the level he has, I mean, he he's lucky to be alive. Um, and, and just... The, the energy that Tang brings and just the steadiness and stuff like that. You know, and Scott Drew, what a great dude. And, and um, you know, uh, he was with Scott for 19 years, I think. And, and you know, uh, Coach Tang had a lot of opportunities, a lot of interviews. Mm-hmm. He was waiting for the right one. He was waiting for the right job. And he got the right job. He loves Manhattan and his beautiful wife and his family. They love it there. They love it there. And people bought in. And And it's so great because the last five years that I've done games in Manhattan, when Bruce Weber was there, nothing against Bruce Weber, but it was dead. Mm-hmm. No one was there. You know, um, the octagon of doom, as they say, is, yeah. uh, is back. And that place is rocking. And um, – you know, they uh, they have to hit shots, obviously, but uh Marquise Noel I mean, as soon as that dude steps across half court, he's in range. Mm-hmm. And um they struggled uh when they lost uh to TCU, I believe, and they yeah. couldn't um they st- you know, they started out really well in, in the in, it was a huge K State crowd at T Mobile mm-hmm. and um they start out and eleven uh, two, I think, is what they were up, and I thought, here we go, here we go. But then they kind of became one dimensional, and Marquise couldn't hit anything. Uh, Desi Sills had four of the best blocks I've ever the seen LeBron in my wrong, life. Seemingly, <laughs> it was, not yeah. He did chase chasing them down from behind, <laughs> and they were violent blocks yeah. too. They were violent, but uh, so yeah, and uh, he just he brings that, he, and you know, and learning from Scott Drew. And, um, and, you know, Scott Drew's dad, Homer, Hall of Famer, one of the best of all time. Uh, Bryce Drew is his brother, who's a great dude. I worked with him a couple of years at ESPN when he was broadcasting before he went to Grand Canyon. He made the NCAA tournament again. Mm-hmm. Just a great, great, great family. But what Tang brings is not only uh, as a just a great mind and a great coach, but... Just the energy and the compassion and the love that he has for his players. And mm-hmm. you can just see it. You can see it.
0: Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the main guys in Marquise Knowles, you brought up, he had every right to leave after Bruce Oberloff. His entire team basically left except for Ish Massoud They stay, yeah. they completely overhaul this roster. You get a guy like Naquan Tammany, you get Desi Sills, who was on his third or fourth college team coming over from Arkansas State. I believe was also played power five at Arkansas in the SEC. But man, what K State's done in just year one under Jerome Tang was Completely, you know, a a stretch of the imagination, you could say, right. from what everybody thought of. I mean, you thought maybe this team could be competitive once they got Keontae Johnson because at one point before the collapse, he was a preseason SEC player of the year. He was a stud. But you don't really know when a guy sits out for that long. And when it was all said and done, this Kansas State team never really had a big-time lull. They struggled on the road, but... Now you're not playing on the road. You're just playing on neutral court. So I think they got a good draw in that East region, Montana State, then maybe another matchup with Kentucky who they got in twenty eighteen. Do you see
1: this Kansas State team maybe going as far as the Elite Eight? Well, just think if uh, Nigel Pack wouldn't have gotten seven hundred thousand oh, from Miami and a and a Mercedes Benz, you know? Imagine yeah, you have him three all big twelve players. <laughs> imagine him in the backcourt next to Marquise, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh I think that um The other thing about K State is um, Wyatt Thompson, the who's also brilliant, the uh, play-by-play for K State. um, He was telling me a couple weeks ago. He said, "Wait till you see these three guys that we have coming in. Wait till you see this." Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Man, he's just going to keep getting better and better." Yeah. K State lacks on the bigs. They they have two bigs. They're not very athletic. Okay, Mm -hmm. one of them's just learning to kind of play stuff like that. but what Jerome Tang will do is not only continue to bring in uh, talent, but he'll be able to coach them up. Yeah, and um, so that's he's 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 very very good coach, deserving of uh, Coach of the Year. Patrick, real
0: quick before we let you go, some thoughts on Kansas and Missouri. Let's start with Kansas here getting the one seed in the West instead of the Midwest. What's your take on that? That Houston remains the number two overall seed despite losing the conference championship, and now seemingly we're factoring in margin of defeat. Because the committee said that Kansas' twenty point loss and their five blowout losses factored in more than Houston's three.
1: Houston lost also, didn't they, to Memphis? If yeah, I'm lost not to mistaken. Memphis, and they yep. also had a quad
0: three loss against Temple.
1: Yeah. Um, Here is the bottom line: you got to win games. You got to win games. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you can look at your draw and you can say, "Oh well, man, we wanted to play in Kansas. Go win. Yeah, go win." And that's what Bill will tell them too. Forget about this. Don't care. Just let's go win. Yep. And you know what? We're going to Des Moines. We got to win two games before we even think about going wherever and and Bill so I mean and, and thank God that he is feeling better and, and, and uh, doing great and um, the best one of the best coaches ever. I mean uh, you know and, and uh, Fran had said on air, on air <laughs> a couple times. he said uh, no disrespect to Norm Roberts, but uh, Dewan Harris could coach his team and they'd be fine. I think you saw on Saturday that that's not true. Yeah, that's not is. true. Bill has something special Bill's brilliant. Bill has something special about him and is just um that he uh he he just knows um he knows what to do and knows how to get everything uh done. So um and as far as Missouri, yeah. Dennis Gate, uh, I mean, Man. goodness, yeah. gracious. I mean, uh you know, well deserved raise. By the way, I'd love to go from yeah. two point five to four million. That'd be kind of sweet, wouldn't it? Um, but uh, just and, and and you know, Kobe Brown staying around. And don't be surprised if he comes back. Don't yeah. be surprised if he comes back. Um, but you know, uh, d- Coach Gates bought uh, four players from Cleveland State with him. Uh, you know, got transfer from uh, you know Missouri State, uh, Milwaukee, Northern Iowa. Get blah 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 and. Uh, and Hodge is one of the best touch-and-shoot quick guys, um, and Nick Honor is a true leader and uh, a floor general. So,
0: Well, Patrick, sorry to cut you short, but we really appreciate your time coming on, we can't wait to have you on next time.
1: Hey, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me.
0: That was Patrick Fitzgerald of ESPN. He does all the behind-the-scenes uh, for ESPN, working with guys like Dick Vitale, Fran Fraschilla, and Boog Shambi. We had him on last night for our night show on Sports Radio 810 WHB called The Night Shift. So not much different than our show right here on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. We have another interview to play for you when we get back. It's Joel Penfield from KC Sports Network. We'll break down everything from the NCAA tournament and go through each region and where Joel has all the local teams advancing to and what his Final Four looks like heading into the 2023 NCAA tournament. That's next on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. Welcome back into the shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson. Today's well, you heard from Patrick Fitzgerald of ESPN in our first segment of the show. And our NCAA tournament talk will continue for our second part of the show, As I sat down with Joel Penfield of KC Sports Network last night, we got all of his thoughts on every single region and who he has advances from those regions to go to the Final Four in Houston. So without further ado, here is Joel Penfield from the KC Sports Network. Joel's a five-tool guy. Joel can talk NFL with us. Joel can talk MLB with us. He can talk college football, college hoops. And for tonight, because he's so flexible we're going to talk NCAA tournament with Joel. Joel, how are we doing tonight?
2: Oh, I'm doing all right. It's interesting looking at the bracket here and knowing my team was quite literally the first team out of the tournament. So it's just uh, just putting salt in a fresh wound is, is all this is. But I am excited to be on. And uh, the NCAA tournament is one of my favorite uh, times of the year, regardless of whether my team is in it or not.
0: Man, how can it not be? There is no other event in sports like this. I think a lot of people will be taking off work starting on Thursday when you have those early tip-offs starting even before noon. But, Joel, that's actually who I wanted starting with, surprising or not. We got a dump button for you, so if you do get a little bit carried away, not to worry, Dylan's got you behind the (laughs) scenes there. But you're Oklahoma State Cowboys, the team number 69 in the NCAA tournament, right on the outside looking in. To the NCAA tournament, I know you have very strong and harsh feelings about the NCAA. But since you are my good friend, since you are regular on your show on this show, I want to give you the floor right now and let you rant about your Oklahoma State Cowboys and why they should have been in this bracket somewhere in the full sixty-eight team field.
2: I mean, it, the only, I guess, the only gripe I really have is I know, I know Ken Palm is not necessarily like the end-all, be-all, but. Yeah. It's a pretty good indicator of who the top teams in college basketball are. I believe Oklahoma State was number 44 in Ken Palm, the top 15 defense. not going to talk about the fact that they can't figure out how to score most nights, but win eight games in the best conference, the undisputed best conference in college basketball. Everybody was saying eight wins gets Oklahoma State in. Most of the results be damned. Uh, but then they lose to Texas, and then all of a sudden that puts them out automatically. Uh, despite sweeping multiple teams uh, there that are in the field, uh, like Iowa State specifically, they beat West Virginia, they beat Kansas State. Um, they they held their own for the majority of the year, but you know they lose seven of nine going into the you know at the end of the season. They lose one of their best players, neighbor Anderson, who helps run the offense as a major catalyst on defense, and both really faltered down the stretch. I, I can't say that I'm shocked that they missed, uh, but to miss the tournament by one game, or by essentially one game, um, you know, don't lose, don't blow massive leads to Southern Illinois and UCF earlier in the season. We're probably having a different conversation as Oklahoma State is one of the last teams in. Uh, but very fitting in a year where they got an undeserved postseason ban last year. uh, They have an opportunity to get in this year, and, of course, they are the literal first team out. So, unfortunate, it is what it is. Unfortunately, we're getting kind of accustomed to not making the tournament as Oklahoma State fans only made it a couple of times in the last eight years. So, it is what it is.
0: Now, Joel, let's go region by region here in the NCAA tournament. We'll start up in the top top left corner with the south region alabama as the number one overall seed first things first any gripe with, with alabama being the number one overall seed i haven't heard much because i think alabama's got the best pure basketball player in the land right now in brandon miller uh they did by definition dominate their conference in the sec tournament i don't think there should be much of an argument as for alabama not being the number one overall seed unless you can convince me otherwise
2: I don't think there's much of an argument to the contrary there. Uh, It's just a matter of whether you believe Alabama was, you know, the best overall throughout the course of the season. Now, down the stretch, they really proved that. But also dominating the SEC is a very, very low bar to clear, considering how down it was this season. I mean, Missouri was good, but they were a top-four seed in the SEC and had a double bye. I I don't think Missouri was a top-four seed in any conference otherwise. So there's some of that element of it. Like I said, Brandon Miller. I'm not even. We don't need to get into the off-field stuff, mm-hmm. but on the or on the court, he is very good. NATO is a very good coach. Uh, they certainly certainly got that thing rolling there. It's not necessarily a tough region either. There are a couple of teams that maybe could could sneak up, but I think they're just too dominant offensively for me to believe that anyone can really hang with them. Maybe Arizona, uh, but I don't foresee many lower seeds getting out of that region uh, other than Alabama.
0: We're talking with Joel Penfield of KC Sports Network. And be sure to go check out his podcast on the Kansas City Royals, the boys in blue on One Royal Way. That's the name of the podcast. Joel does a great job talking everything with the Royals. And, of course, just weeks away from the regular season, we'll be talking a lot of Royals with Joel in the future. But right now we are talking some NCAA tournament because Selection Sunday was yesterday. Sticking with the South Region, Joel, I think, as you pointed out, there's a couple of teams that could go the distance. I do think the 8-9 matchup – Is a little spicy for Alabama. You get a Big 12 team like West Virginia is the 9. Do like Maryland a little bit coming out of the ACC at one point. They were top 20 in the nation. But it kind of feels like every one seed has a tough 8-9 matchup. Iowa's had its good games. Auburn's had its good games. Arkansas, of course, and Illinois. And then Memphis just won the conference tournament. And FAU won 30-plus games this year. So you can't really say anybody got an easy out with an 8-9 matchup. But in the South region, could you make a case, Joel, that maybe West Virginia as the nine is the toughest second round matchup for any of the one seeds. Uh,
2: maybe uh, I think certainly Arkansas. As much as I don't like Eric Musselman, Arkansas, uh, you know, has been solid this year. Memphis, you know, gave a really good game to Houston. I think they won that game, if I recall.
0: They won on Sunday. Yes, uh, so they lost they, earlier yeah, in the regular season.
2: That's right. That's right. So, yeah, they're riding high right now, and Purdue, as good as Zach Eadie is. If he's in foul trouble, they've been pretty vulnerable mm-hmm. down the stretch of the season. So I'd probably say that's more likely of a tougher test. Uh, I think Alabama's playing too good right now. Houston's playing too good. And then Kansas uh, is playing really well. If Jalen Wilson is on. Uh, you really have to bank on that, though, if you're Kansas, because we've seen down the stretch there are not many games, uh, at least in the last few weeks, where if Jalen Wilson doesn't have 25, you know, who else is really going to give you a 15- to 18-point performance to keep you in one? But I don't think Illinois or Arkansas this year is good enough to to hang with Kansas for 40 minutes.
0: Of some of the top five seeds, excluding a team like Alabama, because I don't think they're going to be losing to the 16-seed play-in game, of San Diego State as the five, Virginia as the four, Baylor as the three, and Arizona as the two, who is the most likely to be upset on the first game of the first weekend?
2: You know, I, I hate picking... Are like talking about trendy upsets, because how mm-hmm. often do those actually happen? Yeah. It's always the ones that we don't expect. But in the 5-12 matchup, Charleston's a really good team. I've heard a lot of good things about them. Admittedly, have not watched much of them play, but that's one I've heard talked about a lot. It's a 5-12 matchup. Uh, those games are essentially a coin flip. Five seeds are 21-19 and 19 in their last 40. So, it you know... Well We'll see what happens. There's always a couple of those a year. I'd say that one's the most likely. Furman could be kind of sneaky, but I think Virginia is just too solid defensively. Tony Bennett is too good of a coach. They're not going to get bounced in the first round there. So I, I think San Diego State definitely on upset alert in this region.
0: Uh, Joel, I was vocal about this a little bit yesterday on, on 8 ten when Josh and I did the selection Sunday show. But I'm really high on a team like Arizona. There's something about Arizona Uh despite being a two-seed. I know they weren't tested a lot in the Pac-12 outside of teams like UCLA. But Ken Palm likes them a little bit. I would say that by the eye test, a lot of people should like Arizona. But I was kind of shut down that there really can't be a case for Arizona being the team to beat instead of Alabama. I tried to find a little, you know – spot of light there or a little tunnel where I could try to make a prediction as for Arizona making to the Final Four. But could you get on my side of that and say maybe Arizona, not Alabama, is the team to beat in the South region?
2: You know, I think uh, I you know, team to beat I don't agree with, but could they give Alabama a run out of this region? Absolutely. I think they're one of the better coach teams in the country. Uh, they've proven that over the last couple of years. They're doing it without like a huge big name guy like they had Ben Mather in last year, uh, but they're not really doing it with a huge name necessarily and they're just finding ways to win ball games. And you know, they gave UCLA a run a couple of times and we'll we'll see how it ends up. But I, I think they certainly could give Alabama a run. Even though I think Alabama probably gets out of the region, that's gonna be the the big test, I think. This one the chalk is not cor- the correct way to put it, but it feels mm-hmm. like it's gonna be the top two seeds in the region that ended up getting there at the end.
0: Just so I can get you on air of saying it, are you going with any upset here to represent the South region in the final four, or is it going to be Alabama in a runaway?
2: Yeah, I, th- I don't think it's going to be a runaway, but I think Alabama ends up getting out of there.
0: Okay, let's move down to the East region. We're talking with Joel Penfield of KC Sports Network. Be sure to check out his podcast on the Kansas City Royals of One Royal Way. But we are talking NCAA tournament for the time being. Let's look at this East region. I don't think it's really a shock to anybody that this is the weakest region on paper. Purdue as the one seed. You have Memphis and FAU, Florida Atlantic, that is, as the nine seed. Five seed is the Duke Blue Devils. They did win the ACC Conference Tournament. They'll be taking on 12-seeded Oral Roberts. The four seed is the Tennessee Volunteers, though they've shown to be a lot different team without Ziegler, their true number one point guard. They'll be taking on the Raging Cajuns as the 13th seed in that matchup. Kentucky is the sixth seed against the 11-seeded Providence Friars out of the Big East. Three seed out of the Big 12, the Kansas State Wildcats taking on 14-seeded Montana State, the 7-seeded Michigan State against 10-seeded USC, and the 2-seed is Shaka Smart's Golden Eagles of Marquette against the 15-seeded Vermont Catamounts out of the American East. I mean, am I, you know, kind of being too critical here? Am I being too harsh in calling the East region the weakest region? Or do you agree with that statement that with Purdue being the one and not maybe an overhaul of Big 12 teams, it's a little bit weak?
2: It, it could be. Purdue has certainly got a, a really easy road to at least the Elite Eight, um, they, you know, Sweet 16 at least. Um, I'm not going to count out Shaka Smart at a mid-major in March. You know, it was easy to do that when he was at Texas, yeah. but he's really got Marquette rolling. They were a top-10 team most of the year. Tyler Kolek is a fantastic player. He's able to kind of get back to the Havoc stuff that he was able to thrive at DCU. I would not be shocked, honestly, if Marquette got out of this region. Again, I think as good as Purdue is, it really is incredibly Zach E. Reliant, and he is awesome. But if he gets in foul trouble, you know, who else is really going to go off for them? They don't have a Jaden Ivey type this year, uh, a lot another lottery type guy to handle the offense if he's in foul trouble or to stop playing well. So that one – It's going to be incredibly interesting. I don't think I'll call my shot and say Marquette gets out of there, but I wouldn't be shocked by it either.
0: I think our very own Curtis Seabolt of the program did have Marquette making it to the Final Four as well out of the East region, but you never know. I felt like, you know, looking at this region, Joel, it's going to be the one that produces that obscure Cinderella team. I think this year – we get kind of one of those 7, 8, or 9 seeds in the Final Four. How last year, North Carolina was, uh, I believe, an 8 or a 9 seed. I can't remember which one it was. But that was technically a Cinderella type of team. My prediction, though I'm not 100% confident in it, was Memphis. Could you see a team like Memphis out of the American after beating Houston being one of those teams that could represent the East in the Final Four?
2: Certainly, they've they you know that's a huge confident builder to be one of the best teams in the country in your conference final, kind of riding hot going into March, and oftentimes that's what happens for some of these teams. They just get hot at the end of the year and they just ride that into March, and it's you know and, and it's almost in an any given Sunday sort of scenario yep. where you know in a one off. You know, one team, that's how you get a 215 upset or the 16-1 upset that we saw a few years ago with UMBC in Virginia. So it certainly could happen, but I think Purdue is just too good, frankly. Uh, kind of ends that little run for Memphis, but who knows, man. Just, it's such an inexact science talking about all this stuff. Like, on paper, you can look at all the stats, you look at all the Ken Palm graphs, and then at the end of the day, Memphis could go out and beat Purdue by 20. So who knows? I am very confident in one upset, though. Another five twelve, but I think Oral Roberts is going to be Duke. Ooh. Oral Roberts has everything you want in a Cinderella like huge upset early on. A ton of veteran players, senior players. Max A. Smith is one of the best shooters in the country, one of the best point guards in the country. He was a giant killer. It's the last time ORU got in the tournament a couple of years ago, when they beat Ohio State and got to the Sweet Sixteen, and Duke on the other side. While incredibly talented, I think John Shire has done a really good job. You got four freshmen in that team that have never played in the NCAA tournament, and ORU's got a couple guys that have been there, done that, even if they're a few years removed. Uh, but uh, this is another one where I think Max Asen has kind of cements himself as one of the, uh, a March legend uh, between two NCAA tournaments.
0: Yeah, I think people can go back to the COVID year when 15-seeded Oral Roberts kind of made a little bit of run, believe beat Ohio State, and then their journey was cut short in the Sweet 16 by Arkansas, but as you mentioned, Acmus almost hit a game winner that was damn near mm-hmm. from half court. So it's an Royal Roberts team that has some experience. You know, Paul Mills done a great job with this staff. Uh, they're 30 and four out of the Summit League this year. They're 56th in Ken Palm. And I kind of like what you said there, Joel. That you know, it's a team that really is your perfect, your prototypical upset team, but also in the NCAA tournament. Who knows? Really, you know, those teams sometimes can be beaten by 20 in the first round against a team like Duke. But I can maybe get on board with an upset like that because Ken Palm likes them. I test certainly likes them. They're 30 and 4. Uh, Their offense, I believe, has been pretty good as well per the the national rating. So that's always something you look for with an early upset round is you want a team that can score really well and just be good enough defensively to maybe pull off an upset against a team, a powerhouse like the Duke Blue Devils, just because of brand name alone. Looking more so at the bottom of the, the bracket here, you have Kansas State as the three seed, Montana State as the 14th seed. So a lot of Kansas State fans on Twitter very thrilled with their bracket. They would like either drawing Kentucky or Providence in that next round. But one of my, I guess, pushback, you know, answers here, one of the statements I wanted to make with this is, you know, if you face Kentucky, let's say Kansas State takes care of business against Montana State, they get Kentucky in the round of 32. I don't know about you, Joel, but the lack of a front court with Kansas State concerns me when you have one of the best pure rebounders in all of college basketball, in Oscar Shibway. I mean, should Kansas State fans be looking at that and going, man, I think if we do move on to the second round, you're much rather going to want a team like Providence and not a team like Kentucky, who's shown they're as good as knocking off Tennessee and Knoxville when Tennessee was still healthy, but also maybe as bad as losing back-to-back to Vanderbilt uh, by a comfortable margin.
2: Yeah, I, I think Kentucky is obviously going to be always a challenge to march as much as we don't like John Calipari generally. He's a really good coach. I know the last few marches have not gone well for him, but there's still somewhat of a, a track record there. But I, there's a certain amount of Kansas State where, as a team, they kind of don't know what they don't know, and they can go in and just go play and not have to worry about past marches for them. I mean, so the, there's a certain amount of the just go play ball and not worry about anything else that I think Kansas could be advantageous for Kansas State because a lot of the, the, whoever is left on those, uh, this Kentucky team lost to St. Peter's last year with Oscar Shibwe. And there wasn't necessarily a, a significant post presence from St. Peter's to speak of in that game either. So who knows, but I, I think Kansas state can at least get to the sweet 16 where they'll likely play Marquette. And then it's a matter of, can you, can you beat one of the best mid majors in the country, uh, The advantage that Kansas State and other big whole schools have is they're battle-tested playing in one of the toughest conferences uh, in the country, the toughest conference in the country.
0: Yeah, and one thing Marquette does really well, which could be a nightmare scenario for Kansas State, is they turn the ball over a lot. And Mm K-State turns the ball over a lot. So Marquette, good at forcing those turnovers. K-State struggles to take care of the basketball. We'll see if we'll get a Sweet 16 matchup like that. All right, Joe, I'm going to get you to say this over the air again. Who do you have coming out of the East Region? Going to stick with the top dog and the Purdue, Purdue blowmakers, or are you going to go with your maybe sneakier pick and get into him like Marquette and Chaka Smart actually going to the Final Four?
2: Now that we're talking about it more, I'm talking. I was thinking just going chalk and going with Purdue, but man, what Chaka Smart is able to do in March with mid majors, uh, like when he was at VCU, man, it, it's tough to bet against. He has got them rolling. He's got them playing some of their best basketball right now. I think Marquette can end up end up out of this region and end up in the Final Four.
0: So Joel of KC Sports Network has Alabama coming out of the South and Marquette coming out of the East region. Before we jump to the Midwest region, I do want to get your thoughts on that Missouri-Utah State game. It's two teams that can really score it. Utah State, one of the best offensive teams in the country. So is Missouri. I think Missouri's better equipped defensively. Des Moines Hodge, he averages about two and a half steals per game. When you look at a team like Missouri, Joel, what is deemed as a must for this NCAA tournament? I know some people say, hey, they've already overachieved. Whether they win or lose in the first round, it doesn't matter. They're already ahead of schedule. Or do you look at it and say, hey, for Missouri to get props on this year, they got to at least get to the second round and even if it's a loss to arizona at that point you're losing to one of the best teams in all of the ncaa tournament so is it a must win obviously that that phrase is stupid you have to win all of them here you want to move on but oh, right. in terms of the the more the morality of this of what you can deem a season of success does missouri have to beat utah state to get that credit on a successful season or have they already passed that point
2: i think they've already passed that point i know that the the Dennis Gates hired very quickly. People were able to get op, you know, very quick optimism about where the program was going to head. And some of that was, you know, it happened during the season and said they were a top four seed in the SEC. I think there is a certain amount of house money that they're playing with getting to the tournament and being a, a seventh seed. But at the end of the day, I think they're able to, to win and get to that second round. They're probably going to lose to Arizona, but a massive win for Dennis Gates in year one to get to the tournament and have a very good shot to get to to the second round, uh, to the round of 32.
0: We're talking with Joel Penfield of KC Sports Network. Be sure to check out his podcast on the Kansas City Royals of One Royal Way. Let's jump over now to the Midwest region where the Houston Cougars out of the American Conference are the one seed in the Midwest, not the Kansas Jayhawks, who Joe Lunardi had pretty much locked in as that one seed for the Midwest region. So KU would go from Des Moines to Kansas City, but instead – it'll be this Houston team. So I'll give you the floor on this, Joel. Do you agree with Houston being the one seed in the Midwest, getting that Sweet 16 Elite Eight uh, matchups being in Kansas City? Do you think KU got snubbed a little bit? Do you not care as much because, you know, KU's never really gotten that snubbed in the NCAA tournament before? Where do you stand on Houston getting this one seed in the Midwest region?
2: Uh, being an impartial observer of it, I was uh, chuckling quite a bit watching Kansas say they were getting screwed by the NCAA because they don't know what the hell they're talking about as an, <laughs> as an Oklahoma State fan. I know what that's like, so I don't want to hear any words about that. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you still got to win the game, so I, I, don't really, I don't really have much to say on it. It is what it is. Um, Houston is still certainly deserving of that spot, too. It's not like they were a shocking one seed that shouldn't have been there. They've been one of the best teams in the country all year.
0: Yeah, and that's what our guest Patrick Fitzgerald of ESPN was saying before you joined Joel is like, hey, Bill Self's like it until his team don't complain about where we're playing. You got to go win the games. Like you were in Kansas City for the Sweet Sixteen Elite Eight matchups a couple of years back, and you lost to Oregon on the doorstep of the yep. Final Four. So it doesn't matter if you're in Vegas. It doesn't matter if you're in Kansas City. It doesn't matter if you're in Denver, Greensboro. None of that. You just got to beat the team that's in front of you, and that's what Kansas has to focus on now. Not so much about getting the Sweet Sixteen Elite Eight and worrying about where those games would be played. But as for this Midwest region, I think it is more so favorable in the first weekend for Houston. You get a softer. matchup with Iowa and then Auburn. They get Northern Kentucky as the 16 seed. But maybe some of the sleepers here, you have Miami won the ACC. They're the 5 seed in this region. Indiana from time to time showed they were one of the better Big Ten schools with the 4 seed. Iowa State is a 6. Of course, every Big 12 team is very sneaky, good at being a lower seed. But Iowa State's a 6, and keep in mind, they make it to the Sweet 16, they're going to take over Power & Light again. They're going to take over the T-Mobile Center. Oh, so yeah. That is a team you absolutely do not want to see in the second weekend. But when you look at the Midwest region top to bottom here, who is your biggest underdog that could make a deep run as far as maybe the Elite Eight?
2: Oof. It's hard to argue with Iowa State, but I, think they might, I don't know how I feel about them going up against Xavier in the second yeah. round. That that is a massive hangup. It's not like they got a, a softer three seed there that you know that looks beatable. Xavier was solid pretty much all year and won the Big East. So I I have a hard time betting on that. It, this region's tough because some of these teams look really good on paper, but I don't know how I feel about them in practice on the floor. To me, it feels really chalk, and I think Houston has a really good chance to go and win this thing. Um, you know, pretty pretty handily, uh, handily being a, a tough term to use in March, but as handily as you probably can, to, can get a region. But if Iowa State gets past Xavier and they get to the Sweet 16, with that crowd that they're going to, you know, and the influx of Iowa State fans are going to show up in Kansas City, man, that's going to be a huge home court advantage. That's going to be tough for any team in that region to contend with.
0: Do you disagree with the committee putting Texas A&M as a 7th seed? I know the argument was, well, how do you put that? That's all weird. Yeah, yeah, they finished second in the SEC, yet they get a 7th seed. However, people bringing up quad one wins, A&M did not have a very hard non-conference, and the SEC had a little bit of a down year with Kentucky not really performing up to standards. Arkansas lost 13 games in the regular season. Like, it kind of feels like if you didn't really schedule many tough opponents in the non-con, Win or lose those games, it's going to hurt you in the NCAA tournament if you just schedule a lot of cupcakes. So, you said it's weird that AM is a seven seed. Give your argument as to why AM deserved to be higher.
2: You know, I think finishing in you know the top two or three of a major conference still ho- should hold some weight, even if the non con schedule wasn't that great um, or anything else. But th- there is something to be said for it, despite the SEC being relatively down. I still think they're a solid team. I think Buzz Williams is a good coach. I don't know if they're able to make it out of the first weekend. You know, drawing Texas is going to be tough, and a Texas Texas A&M game is going to be kind of spicy. There's a, a rivalry aspect that's you know long, long past and about to be renewed, but there still is some of that that Aggie Longhorn hatred that could come out. And if they're able to get to that second weekend, they're going to prove a lot of people wrong that that had them as a, a 17 when they probably should have been higher.
0: Now, Texas and AM could meet in the second round of that tournament yep. very early on, of course, and that is a great rivalry in college sports. But last question about the Midwest region here. Is Texas the team to beat? I know I asked about Arizona and Alabama, but is Texas is the two after beating Kansas by 20 in the Big 12 tournament? Now the team to beat is a two instead of the top-seeded Houston Cougars coming out of the American.
2: I still think it's Houston. They're the one seed for the reason. They were number one in the country for a good portion of this season. I know that it's the American and people want to poo-poo that, but I think what Kelvin Sampson has built there is a legitimate contender. They've been to the final four very recently. Uh, I think it was during that COVID year, twenty uh, the 2020-2021 season. And I know they got kind of whacked, in by, I think it was by Baylor, in that final four, but they were able to get there. I think they got to the Elite Eight last year, if I recall. So, they are, they're very much a contender. I think they're going to be able to get out of this region. They'll probably play Texas uh, in a mm-hmm. new Big Twelve matchup at least for one season. But I, I'll go with Houston out of this. I, I trust Kelvin Sampson more, frankly, as a coach. Um, the name of the now the current interim Texas coach escapes me at the current moment, but it's his first time really coaching a team this far into the tournament, that high of a seed, so. There's, there is a certain amount of unproven there, and I'll go with the guy that's done it for much longer, Kelvin Sampson.
0: Yeah, that's Rodney Terry at the University Thank of Texas you. who filled in for Chris Beard. So just so I get you pen to paper here, you have Houston representing the Midwest in the Final Four. Yeah. Okay, so you have so far Alabama a one out of the South. You have Mar- Marquette, I believe it was, you say, as yeah. the two-seed coming out of the East. Then you have Houston out of the Midwest, Uh, in the final four there. So last region, the West region, where the Kansas Jayhawks are the number one seed. They'll take on Howard this Thursday at, I believe, 1 p.m., if I'm not mistaken. So Eastern Time, I believe Jeff Goodman put that out, got everybody thrown off. But I believe Kansas is at 1 p.m. on Thursday. You can listen to that right here on Sports Radio 810, WHB. Arkansas 8, Illinois 9, St. Mary's the 5, VCU the 12, UConn, who Ken Palm has the fourth best team in the country. They are the fourth seed in this region. Iona, the thirteen seed. Rick Patino's team. TCU, the sixth seed. They'll get the winner of Pitt and Mississippi State. Gonzaga's the three against Grand Canyon, the 14. Northwestern, the seven. Boise State, the 10. And UCLA, who's pretty banged up, they are the two seed. They'll be taking on UNC Asheville as the fifteen seed. Uh, to me, Joel, when I look at all the entire bracket breakdown here, I went to a potential Sweet 16 matchup for Kansas and UConn. Ken Palm absolutely loves UConn. They were top five early on in the season. They got really hot down the stretch. But I thought to myself, if those two teams match up, it kind of feels like at that point the winner of that game is going to go on to the Final Four. Would you agree with that, or would you pick another team, maybe UCLA, Gonzaga, or St. Mary's, to make it out of the West region?
2: It's The only thing that I feel about UConn is, I, I just don't know. They had some. I feel like they had some head head scratching losses and some weird games during the season. But uh, Hurley is a really good coach. Sonogo is one of the best big men in the country. Kansas. I feel like Canada. They have the championship pedigree uh, with a lot of guys still returning from the the national championship team last year. But at certain times in the year, they felt very, very Jalen Wilson dependent, and is just hey, go win the game for us. We need you. And not everybody else shows up that night, uh, or they're just pulled, and they need Jalen Wilson to just put the team on his back. He, if he flips up, you know, do you really trust Grady Dick in this spot? Uh, do you, you know, is KJ Adams going to be able to, to lift you a little bit? Can uh, DeLon Harris really take over a game offensively? I'm just, I'm not sure. And this is not me trying to discredit Kansas. It's just, some, I think there are some question marks there. Mm. Out of this region, I really do like UCLA. I think how many. Uh, Jaime Jacquez and Tiger Campbell are a great one-two punch, a great veteran backcourt, uh, or just you know veteran starters there uh, that have made it to the Final Four, have been a part of some of these really solid teams over the last couple of years that Mick Cronin's put together. It's really interesting because I found this stat, and three teams in this region actually fall into this category. So every national champion since 2002 has been both a top-40 Ken Palm offense, and a top, at least a top-22 defense. And UCLA, Kansas, and UConn fall into that category. So the other the other teams are Texas, Alabama, Creighton, and Houston. Just for those, the seven teams that fall into that category of teams that have won national championships, that have a top-40 offense and a top-22 defense. So it's, it's going to be really interesting. I think it's going to come down to those three teams. But take the teams that play in a little bit better conference against better competition – I uh, Kansas-UCLA ends up being that, that Elite Eight matchup. And I'm going to lean UCLA because I think they just have more guys to go to with the the tournament experience uh, that if one guy's shots aren't falling, it's not, you know, not all is lost. Uh, I think that that's the way I will go with it. I think Kansas falls just short of getting back to the final form with an opportunity to repeat.
0: We're talking with Joel Penfield of KC Sports Network. Be sure to check out his Royals podcast, One Royal Way. They do a great job covering everything you need to know about the boys in blue in spring training and heading into the regular season. Joel, last question for you. I know you'll have UCLA coming out of this region, the West region that is. But more specifically with Gonzaga, a three seed in the NCAA tournament. Every time they've been a one seed, they've had this added pressure of, you haven't played anybody all year long, nobody wants you to be a one seed, and they usually falter, with the exception of that COVID year when they lost to Baylor in the national championship game. But maybe is it a better spot now for Gonzaga? They are three seeds, still a top seed in this region, but maybe they don't have the pressure this time around of being this team that has to perform at the level of a one seed typically.
2: That's a really interesting angle that I hadn't thought about. That's a very good point. My only counter to that is they lost some head-scratching games mm-hmm. in the West Coast Conference this year that they normally don't lose. Normally they run roughshod through that. The occasional loss to a St. Mary's who's in that, in that conference and in this region as well. I'm just not sure if this is the team that's going to be able to make that run. They don't really have a, another star next to Drew Timmy like they've had in the past, uh, like a Jalen Suggs or a Shed Holmgren, uh, to compliment him. And and Drew Timmy is a great player, but I don't know if he can be an incredibly dominant player without a a true number two. And they shouldn't sleep on Grand Canyon either. They're one of the better mid-majors that's in the tournament right now. They're very well coached. They're going to have a really tough test early on, which is not something they often have. So it'll be an interesting test for them early on there against Grand Canyon.
0: Joel, thanks so much for your time as always. We hope to see you in studio next time.
2: Absolutely. Let's do it.